Instead of adopting the wasila to go closer to Allah, what are they doing? The exact opposite. Instead of drawing closer to Allah, they're going far and far from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How? By rushing in acts of kufr. Quickly and rushing in it. Instead of increasing in deen, in righteousness, in khayr, they increase and rush in disbelief. How? Not that they say quickly, we are disbelievers. If anyone says, become kafir, they become kafir immediately. They commit the actions of kufr. So for example, instead of fearing Allah and respecting other people's property, they go and commit theft. The exact opposite way they're going. So such people, their disobedience, their fasad fil ard, they're growing distant from Allah. This is something that should not make you sad. This is something that should not make you grieve. And who are these people who rush in disbelief, who hasten in it? They are minal ladina qalu. They are from among those people who say, Amanna, we believe. But how do they say this? Bi afwahihim, just with their mouths. They say with their mouths, make a verbal claim that we believe. And in reality, وَلَمْ تُؤْمِنْ قُلُوبُهُمْ And their hearts, they don't believe at all. So such people who rush into disbelief, they are those who say we believe, but in reality there is no iman in the heart. Who are these people? A person who says, آمَنَّا وَمَا هُمْ بِمُؤْمِنِينَ Who are they? The munafiqeen. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ وَبِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَمَا هُمْ بِمُؤْمِنِينَ They are munafiqeen. Now, we see that verbal claims of iman, they are not sufficient. Unless and until iman is in the heart. Now, Surah Al-Baqarah, where we learn this ayah, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ وَبِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَمَا هُمْ بِمُؤْمِنِينَ Surah Al-Baqarah is an early madni surah. And this surah is Surah Al-Ma'idah is one of the later or one of the last Madni surahs you can say. Now we see that the entire time in Medina that the Prophet ﷺ spent, there were some people who claimed to be believers, who said amanna, but their actions proved otherwise. Because in reality there was no iman in the heart. Now the thing is that when you see someone with some weakness, with some deficiency, some bad behavior. What do you wish? What do you hope for? That over time they will learn and they will change. So for example, if there is a child and you feel that the child is lying a lot or using bad words, you hope that with your constant islah, your constant training, hopefully by the end of a year, by the end of two, three years, maybe they will change, they will improve, their language will get better. And when it doesn't improve, when they don't change, then how do you feel? You feel as though your effort is being wasted. There's no use in it. You're striving, you know, all the research you're doing, the new ways you're adopting, the different lessons you're taking, the different books you're reading, different techniques you're applying, they're not working. 
And when you see that it's not working, then you feel very sad, you get disappointed. And sometimes a person gets so sad that they get depressed. That their grief overcomes them. And they suffer because of that grief. So the Prophet ﷺ, he was very, very affectionate to the people. He was their teacher. He was their muallim. In the Qur'an, what do we learn? He did tilawa to them. Yuzakihim. Yuallimuhumul kitaba wal hikmah. Correct? But if despite that, there were some people who only increased in their hypocrisy, instead of improving in their akhlaq, in their habits, they were getting worse. Despite the passage of so many years, they weren't changing. They were still coming to the salah lazily. They still said bad things about the other believers. They had nifaq, obvious nifaq. Yusari'una fil kufr. Anytime there was a struggle between iman and kufr, they sided with the kufr. Anytime the Muslims were in difficulty, they mocked at them. They deceived them. They betrayed them. They mocked at the Messenger ﷺ multiple times. So this is something that made him sad. And we learned that at the Battle of Uhud, which happened very early on in the Madani era. How many munafiqeen were there? How many people left with Abdullah bin Ubay? 300 people, right? So there were many in number. And by the end of the Prophet ﷺ's life, he told anhu the names of 80 munafiqeen. So we see that the numbers did reduce, either because some munafiqeen died, or because they did tawbah and they changed. Allahu a'lam. But we see that the munafiqeen, they existed in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, and they existed until he died, and they existed after his death, and they exist now even. People who claim they're believers, but in reality there's no atom of iman even inside the heart. Why? What's the indication of that? That they are inclining towards kufr. They're more interested in kufr. Their loyalties are with kufr. They're not interested in saving Islam, in siding with the Muslims, no. Their loyalties are with who? With what? With kufr. So the Prophet ﷺ is advised that don't be sad because of them. لا يحزنك. Don't be sad because of them. Now the thing is that naturally a person does feel sad. That when you have done so much for a person, you have sacrificed your life, your wealth, you know, you suffer pain. When the Prophet ﷺ received wahi, that itself was so painful, that on a cold night, if the wahi came, he would begin to sweat. If he was sitting on an animal and the wahi came, the animal could not stand. A huge camel, it would sit down. It couldn't bear the weight. It couldn't bear the pressure. The Prophet ﷺ, his hair turned white so quickly that Abu Bakr anhu, when he noticed it, he said to him, that I noticed that your hair has turned white. And the Prophet ﷺ replied, شَيَّبَتْنِي هُود وَأَخَوَاتُهَا That Surah Hud and its sister, Surahs, they are so strong in their message that they have made me turn white in my hair. Just imagine, he was a person who suffered so much because of people. Because of conveying the message to people. And at the same time, those very people, if they didn't care about him, they insulted him, they deceived him, obviously he would feel hurt. But what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala advise him? Don't be sad. Why? Because the thing is, that when you become sad, when you get depressed, then who suffers? You suffer. Your sadness is not going to take any revenge from the person who has caused you that grief. 
When you become sad and depressed, you become unproductive, your grief eats you up, it consumes you, that you cannot move on in your life, then who has won? You or your enemy? Your enemy has won. So your being sad and becoming weak strengthens your enemy. It makes him victorious. So don't be sad. Secondly, the harm of sadness of being consumed by your grief is that all of your energy and your ability is diverted. Diverted from what? From your main purpose, from your main goal. Your sadness makes you unproductive. It doesn't let you focus on your work. It drains you. It sucks the life out of you. It takes joy and pleasure and happiness away from your life. And as a result, you can't do anything. You can't find peace and enjoyment in anything. So at the end, what do you do? Nothing. What do you achieve? Nothing. And a person who has a big goal in his life, which is to attain closeness to Allah, he cannot afford to be like this. A person whose goal is to get to Jannah, a high level of Jannah, he cannot afford to be useless in life. He cannot afford to be unproductive in life. No. So the Prophet ﷺ is advised, don't be sad because of these people. Then how do you deal with that sadness? It's natural. You feel the hurt. You feel the pain. How do you overcome it? By realizing that this is a test for me in my life. This person, this incident, these individuals, what are they? A test for me in my life. These circumstances are a test. I have to trust upon Allah and I have to move on. Life is not over for me. It's not over. This is just a chapter of my life. After this, there is another chapter. I have to move on. And for that, you literally have to do your, you know, your own therapy sometimes. You have to tell yourself, this is not it. Because sometimes what happens is that if a person is hurt because of a friend, then what happens is say, I'm not going to trust anyone. I'm not going to have any more friends ever again. But the fact is that if one person has betrayed you, it doesn't mean that there aren't any other good people in life, in this world. There are many, many good people. Ask Allah to give you good people in your life. Think about it. Ibrahim his father said to him, get out, otherwise I'm going to stone you to death. Stop telling me, stop preaching me, I'm going to kill you. And the people literally, they lit a huge fire to burn him. And Ibrahim what did he do? He had to leave. And when he left, who was with him? Lut and Sarah. Khalas, three individuals. And when they left, Lut he was sent to Sodom and Gomorrah. Who was left? Him and Sarah. No children. For so many years, alone, alone, alone. Hajar, he had to leave. Sarah, he had to leave. Back and forth constantly. He has a son, Ismail, he has to leave him. He has a son on the other hand, again he's going back and forth for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what happened? Life is over eventually, right? And then Allah said to him, إِنِّي جَاعِلُكَ لِلنَّاسِ imama. I'm making you imam for the people. Tell me who today does not know the name of Ibrahim. Everyone knows Abraham. Abrahamic faiths. Everybody is familiar with that name. Whether they believe in him or they don't. They have some kind of respect. They look up to him in some way or the other. All the prophets of Allah, what dua did they make? Al-hiqni bis-salihin. Join me with the righteous. 
The Prophet ﷺ lost Khadija anha, his favorite wife. And what happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replaced her with so many. So many who were so loving to him. He lost one uncle, Abu Talib, who was so supportive. But when he lost him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided him with so many more supporters who were willing to give up their lives for him. Who were willing to give up their lives for him. So, if somebody betrays you once, somebody hurts you once, you are hurt because of certain circumstances, certain situations in your life. Tell yourself, this is not the end. It'll be over. There's more to life. Allah makes us weep and He makes us laugh. He brings about this situation in life in which we become sad as a test for us. But it will be over. The heart grieves. The eye weeps. But we are content with Allah's decision. So it really makes a person sad when he doesn't see good results in life because of his efforts. So the Prophet ﷺ, he would become sad. Because the munafiqeen, it wasn't just their actions, it was their hurtful words. Imagine, Tabuk, it happened towards the end of the Prophet's life. And that companion, when he brought a handful of dates, you know what some munafiqeen said? They're gonna go conquer the Romans with these dates. Sarcasm. Hurtful words. It hurts you. But the Prophet ﷺ is told, don't feel sad. Just ignore them. Don't give importance to what they say, what they do, move on. If these people are deceptive, it's okay. Allah has given you other people who love you like anything. And this is true. You will feel that, you will find that in your own life as well. There may be a person who has hurt you to the point that you feel that you are destroyed inside. That they have shattered your confidence. They have ruined you internally. But at the same time, Allah may have provided people to you in your life that love you, that support you, that help you, that want the best for you. So why should you be so grieved because of that one individual, that loser who has ruined you? Ignore him. Leave him. Get over him. Move on. Pay attention to others. Pay attention to other things. You know like if a person loses a loved one in life, maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, then they're so grief-stricken that they forget the people who are alive. They forget their own children. So their children get neglected. Or other people around them get neglected. Yes, we are sad and we will grieve. But after a few days, inshallah, thank you very much, we will be fine. We will move on. We will continue. Life goes on. Because our goal in life is not something perfect now. Our goal is to have a home in the hereafter. To be close to Allah. Because that is where true peace and happiness is. That is where all wishes will be fulfilled. And the thing is that if a person stays in that grief, then he becomes incapable. So, لَا يَحْزُنْكَ الَّذِينَ يُسَارِعُونَ فِي الْكُفْرِ مِنَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا آمَنَّا بِأَفْوَاهِهِمْ وَلَمْ تُؤْمِنْ قُلُوبُهُمْ وَمِنَ الَّذِينَ هَادُوا And also from those people who became Jews. Meaning, the Yahud. Even there are some people from among the Yahud who hasten in kufr, and because of their rushing in kufr, you become sad. Now the thing is that the Yahud, who were they? They were the people of the book. 
they were the ones who knew the signs of the Prophet ﷺ, who recognized him, who knew him to be a prophet. They were the ones who believed in Allah, who believed in Musa ﷺ, in the prophets that were sent before, who believed in the scripture, who believed in the angels and the day of judgment. And the mushrikeen on the other hand had a very different aqidah. So if anyone was to believe in Muhammad ﷺ, who would it have been? It should have been the Bani Israel. It should have been the Jews. But instead of them believing in him, what was their reaction? Kufr. This is why Allah says, وَلَا تَكُونُوا أَوَّلَ كَافِرٍ بِهِ Don't be the first to disbelieve. So they initiated the kufr. So وَمِنَ الَّذِينَ هَادُوا Their disbelief also hurt the Prophet ﷺ a lot. And it wasn't just their disbelief. It was also their rushing, their hastening in kufr. How? That they partnered with the mushrikeen in order to harm the Muslims. They made a treaty with the Prophet ﷺ, but every so often they went against it. They broke it. They would go to Mecca, conspire with the mushrikeen, or tell them to attack the Muslims. So they would work against the Muslims instead of helping them. Allah says these people, Allah defines them, سَمَّعُونَ لِلْكَذِبِ Their reality is being exposed. That they are avid listeners, acceptors of what? Al-Kadhib. Samma'oon is the plural of samma' from the root letter seen mim ayn. What does samma' mean? To hear. Samma'. What do you think samma' means? Maghfirah, ghinfara. What does that mean? Forgiveness. Ghaffar is who? One who just forgives? Who is ghaffar? One who? Always forgives. Forgives a lot, again and again, frequently, for great sins. Okay? On the same structure, غفار is سمار. So who do you think سمار is? Someone who listens a lot, always. You know, one is that a person listens to the radio once a day. And the other is that they listen to it all the time. In the car, when they're working in the yard. Sometimes people even have radios in their washrooms. Right? So... They listen to it all the time. So what is that? Samar. Someone who's always listening. Listening a lot. So this is who Samar is. And by the way, the word Samar is also used for a spy. Why? Because a spy, what does he listen to? Everything. Even things that don't concern him. Because there may be some information that may be of concern to him. So he listens to things that he doesn't even need to. But he still does because he might find something of benefit. So anyway, they are samma'una lil-kadib. Listeners of lies. Over here, listeners means ones who accept. Ones who accept a lot. Because one meaning of summer is not just to listen but to accept. You know, if you've told somebody to do something and they don't do it, what do you say to them? Are you listening? Well, yeah, they're listening with their ears. So what do you mean by that? Are you listening? Meaning, are you going to accept and do? Are you going to obey? So, سَمَّعُونَ kadib Meaning, they accept falsehood. They accept lies. Which lies? The lies which their leaders tell them. That their so-called scholars tell them. Lies about who? About Allah, about the book, about the prophets, about the righteous, about Muhammad wasallam. Whatever lies that they give them, they just accept it. They don't ask for any evidences. They don't ask for any proofs. Any lie that their leaders tell them, they accept it. 
They accept it happily. They have no problem. And we see this amongst Muslims as well sometimes. That they're so interested in stories. Even if they make no sense at all. They will accept it. You know, this fantasy world, they're very interested in that. They use their imagination, they make up long, exaggerated stories, and there are people who are so interested in it, they will listen to it with so much love and attention, so seriously they will listen to these false stories that have no basis in history. Once I was reading a book, I found it in library, in an Islamic library, and I thought the title was kind of interesting. So I just opened it up, it had some stories of the righteous people of the past. And there was a story about this woman, Rabia al-Basri, I don't know if you've heard, she was considered a, a great saint. So anyway, there was a story about her that she had a mat and she placed it somewhere to perform the salah. Anyway, she placed it on the water then. And she prayed salah on the water. And I was like, yeah, right. I mean, how is that possible? But the way such stories are narrated, people love to listen to them. They won't listen to a class of seerah or a lecture on the seerah of the Qur'an or fiqh. They won't listen to that. They'll say, oh, too complicated, too dry. We're not interested in this. But stories that are absolutely unrealistic, that are false, they're very interested in that. We see that there are people who will celebrate certain times of the year in majalis, in gatherings in which stories of certain members of the Prophet ﷺ's family, they're narrated and those stories are false. Just go on YouTube and find out. I mean, it doesn't make sense. How can you expect a companion like Umar anhu, like Abu Bakr anhu, physically beating, uh, hurting the family of the Prophet ﷺ? It's not possible. There were people who had so much respect for him wasallam. You think they would hurt the Prophet's family? Never. They'd never do that. And what's the evidence? What's the proof? There's no proof. It's all lies. But the people, they will spend hours and they will sit there crying, weeping, literally sometimes striking themselves, bleeding, remembering the people of the past, expressing their love. What kind of love is this? And here we need to question ourselves. Let's stop talking about others and check ourselves. What do I listen to? What do I like to listen to? Juicy stuff. Gossip. What people are talking about others, what so-and-so said, what so-and-so wore. And sometimes it's amazing that there may be some TV shows which are apparently reality shows, but we know it's all drama. We know it's all fake. Because nobody talks like that, nobody behaves like that in reality. Somebody I saw watching a show about wedding gowns. And this girl, you know, she finds a dress and she just loves it too much. It's got crystals on it. It's too expensive. It's beyond the budget. And then she's crying. And then her father says, yes, we can buy it for you. And then she says, I love you, Dad. And everybody's so happy. Really? Is that how it happens? In life, does it happen like that? Come on. It's all fake. It's drama. It's called reality TV. But it's far from reality. But it's amazing how people love to watch these things. And sometimes they will cry as well as they're watching other people crying on the television. They'll be so happy for them yeah, as if you're going to wear that gown, as if it's your sister. So anyway, we have to check ourselves. 
What are we interested in? When it comes to reading, what are we reading? Reality or fiction? When we're watching, what is it that we're watching? And science fiction, you know, this is something that I cannot comprehend. How people are watching, you know, movies of sci-fi and how they are just so engrossed in it. But such things are far from reality. How can it ever happen? A three hour long movie, two and a half hours long, and people are watching like, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? They're getting goosebumps and they're getting excited or they're afraid, they're nervous or they're very happy and they can't wait to watch the next episode and they can't wait to watch the next episode. It's all kadib, lies. Can you imagine answering to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment when He will ask, where did you spend your life? Three hours a week watching falsehood. Ten hours a week watching kadib. Listening to kadib. I mean, if you really like to watch movies, watch something that's based on a true story. If you really, really want to. So that there's something true about it. If not 100%, maybe 25% is true about it. Because that is the reality, unfortunately. They say based on a true story, but there are many things that they have added on themselves. So anyway, the Yahud, Samma'una al Kadib, very interested in false things. You see, when a person listens to false things, watches false things, then he starts to live in a different world. Then his imagination works like wild. And he is far from reality. And he is far from the truth in his words, in his actions. On the day of judgment, يَوْمَ يَنْفَعُ الصَّادِقِينَ صِدُقُهُمْ The day when the truthful will benefit from their truth. Allah says, كُونُوا مَعَ الصَّادِقِينَ Be with those who are truthful. Be of those who are truthful. Truthful ones. So how can a person be a truthful person when he watches false things, when he listens to false things, when he's far from reality? So, be careful. So, سَمَّعُونَ لِلْكَذِبِ سَمَّعُونَ لِقَوْمٍ آخَرِينَ They are listeners. Meaning they come and they listen. And over here, the second word سَمَّعُون it gives meaning of spying that they come listening spying for whose sake for another people which people لَمْ يَأْتُوكَ who have not come to you meaning these Yahud they come and they attend your gatherings and they're listening to you very attentively not to find the truth to benefit from it to learn a lesson to improve their lives to have iman no they're listening for some other people, so that they can go and convey something to them, which you have said. But they will obviously distort it or add ten lies to it, and then they will tell them. Who will they tell? Their leaders. Their leaders are who? Lam yatuka. They don't come themselves because of their pride, because of their ego. They won't come themselves, but they will send their people. And they will come in your gathering, listening, not seeking the truth, but just spying. And when they listen to something, يُحَرِّفُونَ الْكَلِمَ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَوَاضِعِهِ They distort words beyond their proper usages. And this is a habit that they had. Whether it was the words of the Prophet ﷺ that they changed, the words of Allah, or the words of other people. This was their habit, distorting the words. يَقُولُونَ They say, إِنْ أُوْتِيْتُمْ هَذَا فَخُذُوهُ Their leaders, they instruct them, when they send them to the gatherings of the Prophet ﷺ, that if you are given this particular answer, then 
take it فَخُذُوهُ وَإِن لَمْ تُؤْتَوْهُ But if you're not given this particular answer فَحْذَرُوا Then beware, then be cautious Meaning leave, don't accept it What is this referring to? Basically, the Yahud They observe the law of the Torah However, the Prophet ﷺ being the leader of Medina, a person of authority in Medina, and he was acknowledged as a leader even by the Yahud, which is why they came into a treaty with him. So if there was a situation in which they did not want to follow the law of the Torah, what would they do? They would take their case to Muhammad ﷺ seeking an answer. But they wouldn't just take any answer that Muhammad ﷺ gave, no. They would only take it if it suited their desires. If it was the answer that they were looking for. You know like, people will go to one scholar, and they will go to another masjid, and they will go to another masjid, one masjid after the other, one imam after the other. Why? Seeking a particular answer. Finding that one person who will tell them, okay, yes, do this. That's what they want. They're not concerned about the truth. They want somebody to tell them that okay, they can do this wrong thing. That's what they're searching for. So for the same reason, the Yahud would come to Muhammad wasallam. Like for example, everybody knows riba is haram. Is it not clear? It's obvious. It's very clear. And who can say that a mortgage is not riba? Of course it's riba. But yet you will see any Islamic scholar, no matter where they go, people will ask him the same question. The same question. Or a person, they want to buy a house on haram. They will ask a local scholar. They will search online on one website. Then they will search another website. And then they will call someone. They will find just one person, any person who will tell them, yes, you may do so, because your situation is very apparently difficult. And that one answer they will hold on to, and then they'll do it. So the Yahud, they did the exact same thing. They came to the Prophet ﷺ not seeking the truth, but to seek the answer that they wanted. It is said that there was a case of zina. Meaning a man and woman from among the Yahud had committed zina. And the punishment according to their law was capital punishment. In Deuteronomy 22.22 we learn, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. Meaning they must be killed. In Leviticus 20.10, it is said, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. The law is very clear. But what did they do? They changed the law. Because too many people were doing it, so they changed it. What did they do? At that time, the punishment was that both the man and the woman would be made to sit on a donkey with their faces blackened and they would be made to walk around the markets and the streets for public humiliation. That was it. That was the punishment. But obviously, it was not found anywhere in the law given by Allah, taught by Musa salam, taught by the prophets who came afterwards. So they had this guilt in their hearts, right? So when this case of zina came up, they wanted to apply this punishment that their scholars had come up with. But they wanted you know, some kind of approval. So they sent their people to Muhammad wasallam. that, okay, ask him, what punishment does he give to the zani? So when they went to him, he gave the same punishment, which Allah has given obviously, which is the same as was given in the Torah. So then they said, فَحْذَرُوا Stay away from it, we don't need it. We'll just do what our scholars have said. Likewise it is said there was a case of murder. 
They said, let's seek verdict from Muhammad ﷺ. If he says, give dia, the blood money, then we'll accept it. But if he says, qisas, then don't. So, this is something that happened multiple times. يَقُولُونَ إِنْ أُوتِيتُمْ هَذَا فَخُذُوهُ وَإِنْ لَمْ تُؤْتَوْهُ فَاحْذَرُوا Allah says, وَمَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ فِتْنَتَهُ Whichever person for whom Allah intends fitna. What does fitna mean over here? Idlal, misguidance. Because that is the greatest trial. That is the greatest test. Meaning, if Allah intends to let someone go astray, go in misguidance, then, فَلَن تَمْلِكَ لَهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا Then you can never possess anything for him from Allah. Meaning, you cannot save him from Allah. You cannot guide such a person. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not enforce misguidance on any individual until that individual chooses misguidance for himself. فَلَمَّا زَاغُوا أَزَاغَ اللَّهُ قُلُوبَهُمْ When they deviated themselves, then Allah deviated their hearts. So, such a person, the sad reality is that they are misguided. When they're misguided, Allah does not wish to guide them, then you can't help them. Then no matter what you explain to them, what logic you give them, how you warn them, it's not gonna work. Recently this lady, she was constantly calling me, asking me for help, because her husband's friends bought houses on riba, and he wanted to do the same thing. So he was asking people around, if it was okay for him to buy the house. If it was okay in his situation to buy the house. And every answer that he got, no. And then he told his wife to call me and ask me. And I'm like, what am I? I'm nothing. What can I say? Why are you asking me? If you take my suggestion, then I would say, never stay away from it. And then the same person, he found an answer somewhere. And then he decided he was going to buy the house. His wife said, if you're going to go buy the house, I don't support you at all. You don't have my support. I'm not even going to go look at any houses with you. I'm going to give no input of mine. I'm not going to spend any dime of mine. I'm not going to give you any support of mine. But he still went ahead and did it. So if a person wants to do something wrong, then no matter how you warn him, no matter how you tell him, his wife is telling him, you want to wage war with Allah? I can't do it. I can't wage war with Allah. This house is not going with you in the grave. I'm not with you on this. Imagine your own spouse says such harsh words to you, on your face, clear, directly. But the fact is that if somebody doesn't want to listen, then you cannot make them accept. And we should be really afraid of this, because it's a very slippery slope that goes downhill very, very fast. That a person recognizes the truth, yet he doesn't take it, and then he starts slipping, one after the other, and he goes down, steep. Really, really deep, very quickly. فَلَن تَمْلِكَ لَهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ لَمْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ أَن يُطَّهِرَ قُلُوبَهُمْ Those are the people whom Allah has not intended to clean their hearts. Such people, Allah doesn't want to purify their hearts. Because the thing is that the heart keeps getting dirty with the sins that we commit, with the false things that we entertain in our hearts. Then what happens? We do tawbah. And the heart becomes clean. We do istighfar, the heart becomes clean. But what's the way to that? Realize the mistake. If you don't realize the mistake, how are you going to repent? How are you going to seek forgiveness? So such people, Allah doesn't intend to clean their hearts at all. لَهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا خِزْيُونَ For them is humiliation in this world. وَلَهُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ And for them is a great punishment in the hereafter. Why humiliation in this world? so that they may stop, realize. 
they may repent. This is Allah's mercy. That sometimes a person experiences disgrace in this dunya, he realizes his mistake, and then he repents. But some people, they don't understand, even then. So for them, وَلَهُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ For them is a great punishment in the hereafter. سَمَّعُونَ لِلْكَذِبِ Allah continues that these Yahud, these people who are hastening in kufr, rushing in kufr, they see the truth, yet they don't take it. They are avid listeners to falsehood. See again, it's mentioned. They're very interested in kathib. And the problem is that when a person starts watching kathib, listening to kathib, then he does not see wrong as wrong anymore. This is the problem. Then you don't see wrong as wrong anymore. Because you're living in that world, that's what you see, that's what you think about, that's what you do all the time. So then, wrong doesn't feel wrong to you. You know, it's like little children, if they're taught that we don't listen to music. Little children, they're very pure. And they take things very seriously. So you'll tell them, we don't listen to music, what will happen? The next time they hear it, they'll tell you, there's music, there's music. But when they see, okay, mom's here, dad's here, everybody's here, not a problem, then eventually what happens? They think it's okay. So this is a problem with listening to kadib all the time. It doesn't seem wrong anymore. You know, when you see all these things on television, eventually a time comes when you start thinking of yourself in that world as well. You're imagining that I'm also buying a house and I'm also renovating it and I'm doing this and I'm designing it like that. And I'm walking into the store and I'm wearing this dress. So you start living in that world. You start fantasizing too much. So سَمَّعُونَ لِلْكَذِبِ أَكَّالُونَ لِلْسُحْتِ They're consumers, devourers of what? A suht. Akalun from akl. So who is akal? One who eats a lot. So over here, they eat a lot of suht. And the word akal also shows greed. You know when you say this person just eats a lot, then what does it show? They're so greedy for anything. They find anything, they'll eat it. Akaluna. So they will greedily consume and devour a suht. Suht is basically haram wealth. Forbidden wealth. And in particular, scholars have said that it refers to bribe. What is a bribe? A bribe is money that is given in order to make haq into batil or batil into haq. Money that is given to someone so that they will change the truth into falsehood or falsehood into truth. Why? In your favor so that you don't suffer, you benefit. For example, there is a particular law which means that you have to pay a certain amount of fees to get something done. That's the law. But you don't want to pay that. Or you've done something illegal in your house. And for that purpose, you have to pay a fees, or you have to have it changed because it's against the law. But then what does a person do? He gives the money to someone to change that law for him. Or to say that he is right, whereas he is wrong. To pass an inspection exam, whereas in reality the person has failed it. Why? Because a person is getting $100 in his pocket. So this is what? Suht. So what's the definition of suht? How would you define it? Money that is given to make haq into batil or batil into haq. Bribe. 
And literally the word suht is to remove the peel of a fruit or something like that completely. Not half of it, but all of it. So this is what happens when a person starts consuming suht and just like that his deen is peeled off, like it's gone. He doesn't have any deen left. He doesn't have any religion left. So, akkaluna lis-suht. Now when a person gives a bribe, takes a bribe, then what does it mean? He'll do anything, anything for what? To change the reality. He'll do anything to support falsehood. He will even financially support it. It shows his commitment to kathib. It shows his commitment to batil. So the Bani Israel, those at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and even before, we see that their leaders, their scholars would frequently change the laws of the Torah. Why? For personal benefit. Just to please people. So for example, there is a person of a very noble family, they have committed zina, and if the punishment is implemented on them, that's great humiliation for the family. So, they would take some bribe from the family, and they would change the law. Sometimes they would literally change the wordings of the book of Allah, or they would give a fatwa, a legal verdict, that contradicted the law in exchange for a bribe. So, akaluna lisuhti. You see what happened when that woman by the name of Fatima, when she committed theft, what did the Prophet ﷺ say? Even if my daughter were to commit theft, I would execute the punishment on her. Because rules are for everybody. This is what justice is. But for them, justice was what? Favoritism. So, akaluna lisuhti. Allah says, فَإِن جَاءُوكَ If they come to you, فَحْكُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ then either judge between them or turn away from them. The Prophet ﷺ is given a choice over here. That if they come to you, and obviously they will come to you, not because they want the truth, but because they want a particular answer. Then, O Prophet, you have a choice. You can pass judgment for them, you can make the decision for them, or you can choose to not give a decision to them. You can choose to not take up their case basically. It's up to you. Because the thing is that as someone who knows the truth, as someone who has been made a person of authority, it is his obligation that when people come to him seeking an answer, he gives an answer to them. He can't say, I'm sorry, I cannot help you here. He has to help them. And especially Muhammad ﷺ being a prophet of Allah, he had to help the people. So the Yahud, when they would come to him with a case, they weren't looking for an answer. They would come, waste his time, and then go do what they wanted to. So in that case, you know, the Prophet ﷺ would suffer. It's not fair that somebody comes to you, takes two hours from you, discusses their problem with you, and then you give them an answer, and then later on they go and do what they want to do. So it was a total waste of your time. Like for example, if you see Muslim counselors, especially our dear imma, imam of our masajid, so much of their time they're spending in what? Marriage counseling. They're telling the man do this, they're telling the woman do this. But what happens? They come, they take two hours of counseling, five hours of counseling, and then they're also going to somebody else. And at the end, that couple does what they want to. So whose time have they wasted? The imam's time. So much time. An imam's time is public time. When you take time from an imam, you're taking time from the entire community. 
So just for the sake of two people who are going to do what they want to do anyways, they're not going to take your shura seriously. So in that case, what should you do? Say sorry, can't help you. There is no harm in that situation. So the Prophet ﷺ was given a choice. You may judge between them. أَوْ أَعْرِضْ عَنْهُمْ وَإِن تُعْرِضْ عَنْهُمْ If you turn away from them, فَلَنْ يَضُرُّكَ شَيْئًا Then they cannot harm you at all. Because there is always this fear that if you turn away, you say sorry, I can't help you here, they'll badmouth you. They'll say bad things about you. They'll say that, oh, what kind of imam is this? What kind of leader is this? We go to them with our problems and they say they can't help us. So there are many lessons over here. First of all, we see that whenever the answer is there in the book of Allah, we should take that, we should accept it as it is. We should stop fatwa shopping. Because fatwa shopping, this is basically playing with the deen of Allah. Making a mockery of the deen of Allah. And we are wasting other people's precious time. We should be very, very careful about this. When you ask somebody a question, then please be careful about the time that you're taking. So don't start narrating your whole life story to them unless they allow you. That's a different situation because in some situations people do allow you. They're ready to listen to you. But other situations they're busy. So be brief. And secondly, if you have bothered to come and share your entire story and you're asking for an answer, then if they're giving you a solution, then take it. Okay, you're not obliged but at least respect the fact that you've taken so much of their time and at the end you're like doing what you want to do. This is unfair. وَإِنْ حَكَمْتَ And if you choose to judge between them, فَحْكُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ الْقِسْتِ Then judge between them with justice. So you have a choice. Either take up their case or don't take up their case. If you don't take it, no harm. They can't harm you. And if you do so, then remember, judge according to justice. And what is justice? According to the law of Allah. Why? Because inna Allah yuhibbul muqsitin. Indeed, Allah loves the people who are just. Because sometimes we don't like somebody. And if they're asking us for an answer, we might give them the wrong answer just to make them suffer. No, this is not justice. Remember, Allah loves those who are just. So don't give a judgment to seek their approval, to make them happy. But to make who happy? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, وَكَيْفَ يُحَكِّمُونَكَ It's amazing. How come these people are coming to you seeking hukum? يُحَكِّمُونَكَ They appoint you as judge. Meaning, how come they're coming to you for judgment? وَعِنْدَهُمُ التَّوْرَةِ While with them is the Torah, فِيهَا حُكْمُ اللَّهِ In which is the hukum of Allah. Like I said to you, the case of zina, the law is present in the book till today. But it's amazing. They refer to different, different laws, seeking an answer. So amazement is being expressed over here that they don't acknowledge you as a messenger. They don't say we accept you as a messenger. We believe in what you say, what you teach us. They don't even acknowledge you as a messenger. Yet they come to you seeking an answer. It's amazing. And then when you tell them something, when you tell them to believe in the Qur'an, they say, قُلُوبُنَا غُلْف We already know too much of our hearts are full. And yet, when there is a problem, they come to you seeking an answer? What does that show? They don't want the truth. They're just fatwa shopping over here. So, وَكَيْفَ يُحَكِّمُونَكَ How come they're coming to you for judgment? وَعِنْدَهُمُ التَّوْرَةِ While with them is the Torah, فِيهَا حُكْمُ اللَّهِ In which is the ruling of Allah. ثُمَّ يَتَوَلَّوْنَ مِنْ بَعْدِ ذَلِكَ They come to you, and when you give the same answer, then they turn away after that. Why did they come to you in the first place if they didn't want the answer? 
You know, if somebody is coming to you seeking an answer and they don't accept your answer, then why do they come to you? To waste your time? ثُمَّ يَتَوَلَّوْنَ مِنْ بَعْدِ ذَلِكَ وَمَا أُولَٰئِكَ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah says such people, they're not believers. This is not iman. Because iman is what? Acceptance, submission. And we need to ask ourselves over here, whenever we ask anybody a question, why are we asking them? Is it really to know the truth? To follow the truth? Or to find what we want? Whether it's a question about shaping eyebrows, a question about wearing hijab, a question about eating certain things, working at a certain place, whatever question it is, always ask yourself, why am I asking? Is it because I want to know the truth? Well, I may already know the truth. I've already studied this particular hukum, this particular mas'ala. And if I'm still asking, then there's a problem. And if I am asking, and the person has given me the answer, and yet I don't accept, then what am I doing? Allah says, وَمَا أُولَيْكَ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ This is not iman. Because what is iman? Who are believers? Those who submit. Those who say, سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا Those who say, we hear and we obey. Not that we hear and we'll think about it, and we'll ask around, and then we will see what we want to do. And in that, two years have passed, so it's too late anyway, and I've forgotten what I heard. إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَا التَّوْرَاتَ Allah says, indeed we revealed the Torah. فِيهَا هُدًا In which was guidance, وَنُورٍ And light. The Torah was given to Musa salam, Full of guidance, full of light. What kind of light is this? It means such light, such guidance that illuminated the hearts of the people, the lives of the people. What's the opposite of light? Darkness. What is darkness? Ignorance, depression, sadness, guilt, grief. This is all darkness. So the book of Allah, it removes, it dispels all those darknesses. So Allah sent the book containing light, containing guidance, containing the truth, so that their lives would be enlightened. And this is why, يَحْكُمُ بِهَا النَّبِيُّونَ The prophets who came after Musa a.s. Zakariya alayhi salam, Dawud alayhi salam, Sulaiman alayhi salam. All these prophets, what did they do? They would judge according to it. Yahkumu biha. They would judge according to the law that was found in the Torah. And the prophets, Allah describes them as Alladina Aslamu, those who submitted. Submitted to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The evidence that a person has submitted to Allah is that he lives according to the law of Allah. If a person does not live according to the laws that Allah has given, then they have not submitted. For example, a very obvious command is hijab. And if a person doesn't do that, that means they haven't submitted. Submission is what? I'll do what you tell me to. And we cannot do big things until we have submitted when it comes to little, little things. So, يَحْكُمُ بِهَا النَّبِيُّونَ الَّذِينَ أَسْلَمُوا So the prophets, they would judge according to the Torah. For who? لِلَّذِينَ هَادُوا For those people who had become Jews, meaning for the Bani Israel. So they lived by the Torah. They were given their rulings according to the law of the Torah. Who else would judge according to the Torah? وَالرَّبَّانِيُّونَ وَالْأَحْبَارِ So did the rabbis and the scholars. Of who? Of the Bani Israel. رَبَّانِيُّونَ Plural of رَبَّانِي We have done this word earlier. Who are they? Scholars, murabbi, trainers, 
those who connect people to Ar-Rabb, those who develop the love of Ar-Rabb, the fear of Ar-Rabb, those who train people, educate them, lead them to action. And Ahbab, from Hibr, which means ink. And a scholar, a very academic scholar, he writes, he authors books. Right? So, Ahbal refers to specialists, like fuqaha. Rabbaniyun are more like spiritual leaders who do tarbiyah. And Ahbal are like specialists, academics. So, both such scholars, both of them, when they made judgments for the Bani Israel, they would do so according to what? According to the law of the Torah. Why? Bima, because ustuhfilu min kitab illahi. Ustuhfilu, they were entrusted to safeguard, to preserve from half Allah. What does hifz mean? To preserve. So the Rabbaniyun, the Ahbab, they were required to preserve kitab illah, the book of Allah. How is the book of Allah preserved? How is it made to survive? How is it made to live on? when it is alive, present in the lives of people. If the message of the book is within two covers, then that book is not alive. If the message of the book is present in the lives of people, how? They're living according to it. They're judging according to it. Then that means that book has been preserved. Its message has been made to last. So the scholars the people who were the bearers of the Torah, they were obligated to keep the book alive. And how would they do that? By judging according to it. وَكَانُوا عَلَيْهِ shuhada, And they were witnesses over it. Over what? Over the truthfulness of the book. Because when you live a book, when you live according to it, then it means that you truly believe that it is the best. So you are a witness to its truthfulness to the khair that it contains. But if you leave it, if you don't practice it, that means you don't believe in it. Then you're not a witness over it. But there are many deep lessons that we learn over here. That we have to look at our lives. How much of the Qur'an is present in our lives? I'm not talking about recitation. I'm not talking about knowing the science of tajweed. I'm not talking about memorization. I'm talking about the action part of it the practical part of it. If it's present in our lives, then we have come closer to giving the haqq of preserving the book. And if we're not living according to it, then we're doing this book a great injustice. We are losing this book. Losing it. So are we people who are preserving the book? Or are we people who are losing the book? The book has been given to us, but what are we doing? وَكَانُوا عَلَيْهِ شُهَدَاءٌ And they were told, فَلَا تَخْشَوُ النَّاسَ Don't fear people. وَخْشَوْنِ And fear me. Because when a person is trying to live according to the book of Allah, according to the law that Allah has revealed, and he's judging according to it, he says, well, the book of Allah says, what you're supposed to do, so this is what you're supposed to do. And if somebody asks you, and they're your close friend, so can we consume this kind of riba? Can I take this kind of loan? And you're too afraid to say no. What does Allah say? Don't fear them, fear me. Why not fear them? Because they're people. And why fear Allah? Because He is Allah. He is Rabbul Alameen. If people are unhappy with you, it's okay. You give them a chocolate cake, they'll be happy with you. 
But if Allah is unhappy with you, then what can you do? You can offer the whole earth spill of gold. It's not going to work. So be very, very careful. Don't fear people when it comes to the law of Allah. Always fear Allah. Justice cannot be established until unless a person fears Allah. وَلَا تَشْتَرُوا بِآيَاتِ ثَمَنًا قَدِيلًا And do not sell my verses for a petty price. What petty price? What little price? The benefit of this dunya. Changing the law, changing the verses, just to make people happy so that they can give you material gifts. Don't do that. The book of Allah is not so cheap. You can't change it. وَلَا تَشْتَرُوا بِآيَاتِ ثَمَنًا قَدِيلًا Nothing is in the hands of people, so don't fear them. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَحْكُمْ بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ And whoever does not judge according to what Allah has revealed, فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْكَافِرُونَ Then such people, what are they? Disbelievers. If they don't judge according to Allah's law, then such people are committing kufr. This is not iman. Before we learned, وَمَا أُولَٰئِكَ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ Here we learn, فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْكَافِرُونَ so this is something very, very serious. We might say, oh, this is about the people of the book who lived at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, but it's very relevant to us. Because unfortunately, we have also adopted this way of picking and choosing what we like, what we want to do. And if there's something that we don't like, we find it too difficult, we don't want to do it, then we leave it. Even if it's written in clear words in the book of Allah. Clear words. You see, a munafiq, because munafiqeen were mentioned earlier, he looks for that which fulfill his desire. And a believer, he sacrifices. Munafiq looks for convenience. He wants to fulfill his wishes, his desires. But a believer, he will sacrifice. Because sometimes it means that you have to sacrifice the beautiful look of your face. That you've always been shaping your eyebrows, for example, but now that we learned about changing the khalq of Allah, and we learned that a woman who plucks her eyebrows has been cursed by the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ said that such a woman is cursed. La'na of Allah on such a woman who does it, who has it done. Then yet if we go around asking, but can I do a little bit here? And can I shape a little bit? I'm not doing too much. Just doing a little bit then what is this? If the law is clear, the ruling is clear, then no matter how difficult it is, remind yourself, this is the sacrifice that I'm making for the sake of Allah. And when you sacrifice your ego, because it's your ego that you have to sacrifice basically, right? It's easy to give up many things, but it's your ego that doesn't let you do it. When you sacrifice your ego, when you humble yourself before Allah, then Allah will elevate you. Don't worry. Inshallah, Allah will send you a good husband. Even if you have hairy eyebrows. It's okay. Somebody who loves you doesn't care about your eyebrows. They look at the person behind the eyebrows. So don't think it's the eyebrows that matter. It's your akhlaq that matters. It's your good nature, good character that matters. It's your good habits that matter. And it begins with sincerity to Allah. If you're sincere to Allah, submissive to Him, only then your good deeds will come. Just yesterday, I learned, last thing I'm going to tell you, a statement of Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. He said that a person may have ten characteristics. Nine of them may be excellent, very good, good akhlaq, very charitable, 
soft spoken but one characteristic that the person possesses is a bad one one bad trait whatever it is but some sin that he is committing and that one trait will outdo it will overcome the nine good traits it will overcome the nine good qualities that a person has so we don't want this that on one hand we're striving so much and on the other hand we're doing this one little wrong thing which wastes every good effort of ours let's listen to the recitation ya ayyuhar rasul la yahzun kalladhina yusari'una fil kufri min alladhina qalu من الذين قالوا آمنا بأفواههم ولم تؤمن قلوبهم ومن الذين هادوا سماعون للكذب سماعون لقوم آخرين لم يأتوك يحرفون الكلم من بعد مواضعه يَقُولُونَ إِنْ أُوتِيتُمْ هَذَا فَخُذُوهُ وَإِنْ لَمْ تُؤْتَوْهُ فَاحْذَرُوا وَمَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ فِتْنَتَهُ فَلَنْ تَمْلِكَ لَهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا أُولَئِكَ الَّذِينَ لَمْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ أَنْ يُطَهِّرَ قُلُوبَهُمْ لَهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا خِزْيٌ وَلَهُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ سَمَّاعُونَ لِلْكَذِبِ أَكَّالُونَ لِلسُّحْتِ فَإِنْ جَاءُوكَ فَاحْكُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ أَوْ أَعْرِضْ عَنْهُمْ وَإِنْ تُعْرِضْ عَنْهُمْ فَلَنْ يَضُرُّوكَ شَيْئًا وَإِنْ حَكَمْتَ فَاحْكُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ بِالْقِسْطِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُقْسِطِينَ وَكَيْفَ يُحَكِّمُونَكَ وَعِنْدَهُمُ التَّوْرَاتُ فِيهَا حُكْمُ اللَّهِ ثُمَّ يَتَوَلَّوْنَ مِنْ بَعْدِ ذَلِكَ وَمَا أُولَئِكَ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِنَّا أَنْزَلْنَا التَّوْرَاةَ فِيهَا هُدًى وَنُورٌ يَحْكُمُ بِهَا النَّبِيُّونَ الَّذِينَ أَسْلَمُوا لِلَّذِينَ هَادُوا وَالرَّبَّانِيُّونَ وَالْأَحْبَارُ وَالرَّبَّانِيُّونَ وَالْأَحْبَارُ بِمَا اسْتُحْفِظُوا مِنْ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَكَانُوا عَلَيْهِ شُهَدَاءُ فَلَا تَخْشَوُ النَّاسَ وَاخْشَوْنِ وَلَا تَشْتَرُوا بِآيَاتِي ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا وَمَنْ لَمْ يَحْكُمْ بِمَا أَنْزَلَ اللَّهُ فَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْكَافِرُونَ